The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. this morning, if you have your Bible, to uh, Jeremiah, the book, of Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. If you're visiting with us, especially if you're here to support a family member baptized today, welcome. Uh, we're grateful you're here this morning. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are those blue Bibles in front of you. We're on page 638, 638, and uh, you're welcome to take that Bible. If you don't have one or want to use it during this time, please do so. Uh, over the next several weeks, actually the next four months, we will be going through the end of April studying Back to the Basics. Uh, many of you have seen that in your uh, bulletin the last couple weeks, the Back to the Basics. That is our theme from the pulpit and across the board this year, Back to the Basics. This year we're going to look at God's character, who God is, and uh, then we'll look at the Psalms. We're created to praise. In the summer we'll look through First John and how you can know for sure that you know that you know that you know that you are truly a Christian. And in the fall, we'll look at the Ten Commandments, and after that, a study of the Incarnation. We've already planned out all the sermons for the year. So uh, if you're looking to fire, what are we going to be preaching at? Go to our website, towerviewkc.com. All that information is definitely posted on there. You know, some of you on Facebook yesterday, uh, many of you, we said we were hoping for a Chiefs victory. We got that victory. Uh, I hope that's a good thing. I see a lot of hands going up. Amen. But you know, our greatest victory, friends, are what we're celebrating here today. I love the Chiefs. I'm going to root for them. But aren't you grateful? That although the Chiefs may win one year, even if we win it all, that Christ has won everything, every time, everywhere. Amen. And that's cliche, but it's also very true. It's also very true. All right, so let's start out in Jeremiah 9, but I want to tell you a story about a little girl. It's not my little girl because she can't talk this much yet, but maybe someday, I don't know. We'll see. But a little girl was playing one day with her mother, and she asked, what are you doing, honey? What, what are you doing right now? The little girl said, well, Mom, I'm drawing a picture for you. And she said, well, that's nice. Thank you. That's very sweet of you. What are you drawing? And the young girl, about six years old, stood for a second, and she said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the mom retorted back, well, how can you do that? No one has ever seen God. No one knows what God looks like. And with all the pride that a six-year-old kindergartner could say, the young girl said, they will when I get through with this picture, Mom. <laughs> it's very true. You know, I love that illustration because it is childlike faith, but also a very true picture for us as adults because each of us, I think, if we're honest, has a picture of who God is in our mind. And our study today, we're going to ask how close is that picture in your mind, my mind, our church's mind, perhaps, to the real God. A.W. Tozer, many of you have read A.W. Tozer. He said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, it's been well said if you preach a sermon about how to have a happy family, how to uh, divorce-proof your marriage, how to uh, balance your checkbook, that a lot of people would come. But if you preach a series through the character of God, a lot of people are going to go. Friends, but that's what we're here to do today because it's the most important thing. Back to the basics. Who is God? Why study God? Hosea 4.6 tells us this, the old prophet. It'll be up on the screen for you. He says, my people, through the Lord speaking, my people are destroyed for a lack of of knowledge. And that's referring to who God is. This is the single most important reason why we are here today, why, why you are here on this earth. Maybe you've asked this question, what are we here to do? Why am I created? Why am I born and die however many years later? Why do we exist? 
Friend, the Bible is very clear that you exist to know God. That is the sum and the substance of everything in this life is to know him. And probably the most frightful thing, if I can say it this way, that we will do over the next 16 weeks is to talk about this God that we're going to be referring to. More frightful than standing in Westport over the years I was blessed to do and evangelize and preach on a street corner drunks all the time. More frightful than a mission trip I've been on is to teach about who God is. Because as pastors, who can we compare God to? No one. There's no one you can compare God to. No one at all. My question for you today is how well do you know this God, this Bible God, this biblical God? Do you know him at all? Does your life reflect him? Is he your life? Is he your all? Is he everything to you? And that's where our big idea comes from today. The most basic foundational statement I can give you through the whole journey of this sermon is this. The point of the Bible is to know and see and hear the God who hears, sees, and knows us. Friends, that's what it's all about. Life is not about how many people die with uh, the most toys wins. We are made to know him. Our purpose is our very being is summed up to know him. Some would say that life is all about the best 401k plan so I can retire easy, or if my kids just get in this school, or if, if I just land this job, or if I just marry this girl, or whatever it is. But those are all wrong outside of this passage we're going to look at. Those aren't all bad things necessarily, but nothing can compare, nothing is above, nothing is superseding who God is to know God. Friends, it means more than just having principles how to live your life. Do you know God? Do you know him through his son, Jesus Christ? Because we're created to know him, draw from him, and have our life in him. So why study God? Two simple points today, two verses, right? You say, Darren, two simple verses is going to be like a 45-minute sermon. Amen. That's right. (laughs) Just kidding. But why do we study God? Because we have nothing to boast in ourselves, verse 23. And secondly, most importantly, we have something, we have everything to boast in him, and that is God himself. This little oasis that we're going to look at in verses 23 and 24 is stunning in its context because if you were to go and read Jeremiah up to this point, man, it is, it's, it's a crazy thing. There has been adultery, immorality, deceit. Israel is just in sin up to their eyeballs and like times 100. It is bad. They are guilty beyond great measure. And they are told not to boast in their power, not to boast in their might, not to boast in anything, but to boast in one thing, that they know God. But their sins have blinded them to that reality, folks. And the reason that they are rebelling, resisting, doing everything they can to get away from this God is because they don't really know him. Friends, to fail to know God is to walk the path of destruction. To fail to know God is to not know why you were created. But to know God is to travel the path of life and goodness and righteousness here on this earth. And that's what we're here to do today. With that in mind, if you're able this morning, would you join us in standing for a reading of two verses in the context, Jeremiah 9, chapter, uh, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. The word of the Lord says this today. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In these things I delight. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. 
Father, this is a very weighty and serious matter about who you are. It's not child's play. Even from a pastor's standpoint, Lord, I, I, I dread speaking on this, Lord, because who am I to speak for you? But, Lord, I pray for the wisdom to do that this morning to your glory. Father, I pray for anyone here today who may not know Christ, that you would open up hearts and minds by your spirit to draw them unto that. Father, I pray for the long-tenured saint who's been at church for years or has been around churches for years. Father, that you would refresh and encourage and challenge them with the messages that we're going to go through. May all of us know you better, Father, so that in knowing you better, we would know how to honor you with our lives and spread that word to others by your grace. Father, we love you so much. We ask this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah, is, many of you know, is called the weeping prophet. He was a man that was called before his birth, it says in Jeremiah 1, to speak the word. And this verse, in verse 23 that we're going to talk about, the first heading is nothing to boast in ourselves. Nothing to boast in ourselves. They are all summed up in these two verses, you could say, in the Bible, as one commentator has said. In other words, you can't get away with a superficial obedience to God after reading this, because this is what it's all about. You know, and there are some people who like to know the Bible who like to know the Bible and study it and get asked to preach places and, and get all this head knowledge so that somehow they can be respected by men. But friends, I'm going to be honest. When you know this God, it's not about just head knowledge. It's about the relationship that knowledge produces as you look at who you are before this holy God. So let's start there in verse 23. You see that word boasting? You may have, I don't know if anyone has a different word there, but the word boast, uh, that's what the, is basically, it's worthy of esteem. It's worthy of great honor. And Jeremiah, through speak, God speaking through Jeremiah, says, don't boast in your wealth. Don't boast in your might. Don't boast in your wisdom. Don't consider these things, people, to be the top, top tier of your life, the top dogs. All are gifts from God, and nothing that you have can come except through him. That's a scary thing because, friends, I think if we're honest and we look at the might, the wisdom, and uh, the riches, we look around our world, and isn't that what most people try and go for in their whole lives? Maybe you're not a bodybuilder like I am, but you are seeking after riches. Maybe you're not as wise as the next person, but you are seeking after might. I don't know. But I do know that 1 Corinthians 1.18 says that God delights in destroying the wisdom of the world with the foolishness of the cross. He says, don't boast in your wisdom, that first little thing there. Why would he say that? Because all human wi wisdom is vanity. It's meaningless. I mean, it really is. You think about it. Even if you are a wise man, you still should not boast because it comes ultimately from God. Worldly wisdom tells you to make money, meet people, climb the ladder. What was that old book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Uh, many of you have probably read that over the years. Friends, that wisdom is foolishness to compare to the wisdom that God's going to show us in this passage. Even wisdom that comes from God may not be wisdom enough. Think about Solomon. Those of you who know the Bible, wasn't Solomon outside of Christ, the wisest person probably to live on the earth, he prayed for that. And what happened with Solomon? He loved the ladies a little too much, and eventually he loved the ladies that loved the false gods. And foolishly, in his wisdom, it took him away from knowing God. You can have biblical wisdom and biblical knowledge and be absolutely wrong. I don't know where Blake's sitting. Blake's over here, Matt. I bet we can recount stories of Ph.D. students who are studying theology who have cheated on their wives, quite frankly. You, many of you know pastors who have preached from the pulpit day after day after day, week after week, who have all this knowledge but live like fools outside of this. That's why he says, 
Be careful, don't boast in your wisdom, whether it's biblical or worldly. Well, to be practical, don't boast in your degrees. Many of you have super smart intellects. Don't boast in your degrees. Parents, don't boast in your children's successes. Do you want your children to be more educated, perhaps, than knowing this great God that we have? Is it wrong for them to want to be doctors or lawyers or, or even a construction worker? No, not at all. All things to God's glory. But wouldn't it be better for them to know the Lord than to give their life for something that leads just to a job? And, you know, you ask a question of that to a young man. What do you want to do after college? Well, I'm going to get a good job. Then what? Get married. Then what? Have 2.75 kids in a two-car garage with a three-bedroom house, right? And what happens when you get in that house? Well, we're going to buy some land, and we're going to retire there. And well, what then? What then? The only thing we should boast in, friends, is knowing the Lord. Amen? That's the first application point. The beginning of wisdom is that I have absolutely no say in how God should run the world, and I am completely, utterly peaceful with that. If you're here today and you are fighting a struggle with God, saying, Lord, I don't want to go here. I don't want to do this. Lord, I know you're calling me to whatever, but I just don't want to follow in those footpaths. Would you be at peace knowing that God is sovereign? My wife and I can testify in the last two weeks. I hope I'm okay saying this publicly. I haven't talked to you about this. Oops. But uh, <laughs> as we've been looking for our house about a week and a half ago, we were down to two houses, which were in the upper end of our range. And quite frankly, we, a lot of them, they had problems. They did. We had nothing on the docket. And last week, last Sunday, a house opens up in Liberty, completely unsure about it. Go there, and that's where we're going to live. Friends, you just never know how God's going to bless you. But I can tell you, I was set in my mind, we're going to this house, we're going to fix this, fix this, fix this, fix this. And God moves a different way. Friends, we need to be peaceful with the fact that God is all wise and he will lead us in his wisdom to the places and people we need to go. And that's why he says, don't boast in your wisdom. And next, and this is the second one, he says, don't boast in your might. Mighty men, are there any mighty men here? I'm sure there are. Some super strong men. Friends, we are kind of in the American culture, the remake of the Roman Empire, I think. We have, we like warfare, we like athletes, we like political arenas, we have Hollywood stars. I mean, a star eats a, a McDonald's cheeseburger and it's front page news on uh, Entertainment Tonight. You ever watch that? It's crazy how infatuated we are. But let all those who are mighty in this world humble themselves before this God that we serve. Let them be abased, but because of the fate that will fall them. Look back at verses 21 and 22 if you have your Bible. We didn't read this, but I want to read it for context. For death has come into our windows and has entered our palaces, cutting off children from the streets, young men from the squares. Speak thus, declares the Lord, the dead bodies of the men shall fall like dung among the open field, like sheaves after the reaper, and none shall gather them. You know what will happen to mighty men? Mighty people of this world, they will be cut down. They will be cut down. Friends, that's the second application point. It is better to have small faith in a great God than great faith in a small God because the object of our faith, not its amount, is what is most mighty. Do you know the story of Alexander the Great? Many of you have heard that name before, right? Do you know that he took over the whole known world and they asked him, what are you going to do next, Alexander? What are you going to do next? There's nowhere else to conquer. They conquered everything. You know what happened 24 hours after that conversation? He got a worm, a life-killing worm. And you know what happened to him? He died. He conquered the whole world. He had nothing left to do, and he passed away. A mighty man humbled in the strength of his might in that sense. 
You know, you think about NFL players. Some of you, uh, let's just throw an NFL illustration. Have you ever watched those documentaries 10 years after they become players? What happens to them? I mean, let's be honest here. These are mighty guys. J.J. Watt, if you guys know the Houston Texans, I mean, he's a tower. Blake, I'm sorry, you're a big guy. He's like two of you times, yeah, every which way. And you know what? J.J. Watt, this great man, someday is going to be limping around just like the rest of us. And if you watch those documentaries, you see men, many of you who knew, grew up with these men, they are, they're just, let's be honest, they're, they're fatter. <laughs> they're less lean. They're not healthy at all. They have brain injuries. And I'm not saying you shouldn't play football. I'm just making the point that even the mightiest of the mighty men are going someday to fail. Friends, it's crazy to think about. Some of you boast maybe in your beauty. Can I ask you a question? How did you roll around in your mom's womb to get that pretty? We did nothing. Friends, there's nothing. Why boast? The very things the world tells you should be a source of your pride in the Lord's eyes sometimes should be a source of your fear. Don't boast in your might or your wisdom. What else? He says thirdly, he says don't boast in your riches. It doesn't say it is a sin. Let me just clear the air here. It doesn't say it's a sin to be rich. But the one who has a high calling from God to use those riches God gave him should use them in a godly way. Last application point on this main point is this. The use of money without aiming to glorify God is, frankly, embezzlement. Think of it that way. Moravians... The, uh, the old uh, senders of the gospel were benefited in the 17 and 1600s by people who were very wealthy. There are others. The, the disciples were probably very wealthy. They had a, uh, their parents were giving them money, we know, from extra-biblical sources because they were from a rich uh, fishing industry. Look, it's not a sin to be rich, but it is a sin to lust after riches and not be content with what you have. Maybe for some of you today, that is making your house pristine. You want it to look like... HGTV is going to come to your house and they're going to say, wow, it's amazing. Some of you, it might be your body. It might be you want to have the, the, the lungs of me to run, the muscles of, of Blake and the hair of Matt, and that's what you want to look like. <laughs> I don't know. But friends, we are called not to boast in our riches. You know, wicked... If you read through the, I challenge you to read through Matthew 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and you always see a phrase Jesus says repeatedly. It says, and their reward was given to them. Speaking of the Pharisees, what was their reward? They've already gotten it. Friends, their reward is that God was using that to harden their hearts because they didn't want anything about him. The old dead guys, the Puritans, said it this way. They said that God will give riches to the righteous to be more righteous and to spread God's righteousness. That makes sense. But God will give riches to the wicked like a farmer fattening a calf for the day of slaughter. You ever wonder why so many rich people, the wicked people, seem to get it all right? Go read the Psalms. They'll, they'll cry over those things. Aethith will in Psalm 70-something. But Psalm 47 says this, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For that reason of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. As we study God, as we look at who this God is, I want you to be very careful, church, as we go through this. Do not take this as another thing to say, boy, I've gotten more head knowledge. I feel great about God. Pray that your heart takes that head knowledge by the Spirit. He takes that head knowledge and applies it to your heart because it should drive us to our knees about what we are seeing today. Psalm 50, 21 and 22 says this, These things you have done, and I will be silent. 
you thought, this is God speaking, you thought I was like one of yourselves, but now I rebuke you and lay and tear you apart. Whoa. Preach that on most TV preachers. That'll get you no donations from the, the masses. Friends, the great sin today is not just that we boast in our wisdom. It's not just that we boast in our might. It's not just that we boast in our riches, although we do those things subconsciously, consciously, even in churches. But our great sin is the same sin that Israel had. We think sometimes that our God is just like us. That worshiping a God of our scripture must be the one that we see in our minds. And that God, quite frankly, sometimes, depending on the, the person in the church, looks more like Santa Claus or a bellhop or a Elvis Presley, I don't know, more than he looks like the Yahweh of Scripture. And friends, every Sunday morning, has been well said by many a preacher, can sometimes be the greatest hour of idolatry. Because you have this picture of God, I have this picture of God, the Bible has this picture, and where do we find it? Friends, I pray as you look at this that you see as a church, as a family, as an individual, that as we look at God, he is a relational God, amen? But he's also a God that's not like us. And in being that, we have to come to him in a different way. You know, that's where we'll start. I'll just move on. I'm going to skip some notes here because we'll just move on. But I want to share another little kid story. I love kid stories because you all like them, and I like them too. And if you're a grandfather or, or a grandparent or a parent, you know these. But it's like the little kindergarten boy who comes home so excited because he learned how to count. Now, I don't know if you remember those days, parents, if, if you have older kids, but it's a, it's a fun thing. And the little kid goes up to his mom. He says, guess what, mom? You will never believe this. And his mom is just so floored that he has learned something cool. And he says the most profound thing a kindergartner could ever say. Mom, four quarters make a dollar. Let that wrestle in your mind for a second there. I know you have calculators today. But to him, this six-year-old, that is the most astounding, mind-blowing thing that could ever happen. It is. It's like E equals MC squared to him. It's like Einstein has met this dollar-quarter thing. And to his mother, what's the mom doing? Parents, you know, we do this with our son. You know you're not supposed to laugh, but you do. You know what I mean? She hides her giggle to avoid embarrassing him, but it's not quite as significant as you might think. Friends, when the Lord looks down from earth and he sees the rich, the proud, the mighty of wisdom who think they'll outsmart him, it's kind of like that mom to that kid. We have an inflated view of ourselves, friends. Maybe today we need to repent of that. You say, Darren, I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I can see God. We could say as humans, look at us. We can fly to the moon. And God says, look at me. I made the moon and I made the stars and I know every one of them. Who are you to boast? We have nothing to boast in, but that's the bad news, if you will. But you want to know the good news? We have someone to boast in. Let's go to the second point. Let's go to the second point. We have someone, something to boast in. Look back at verse 24. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Wow. That he understands and knows me. That There is no redundancy there in the Hebrew. This is just what it says. He boasts to boast in this. What's that word understand mean? It means an accurate, it means a, a complete understanding as it is. It means exactly as it is. And many of you know that word know there is an intimate, relational, experiential knowledge. It's like a husband becoming one flesh with his wife. It's knowing one another so closely. And friends, that's why that next application point is this. We have a lot of work to do over the next several weeks to shed our minds of myths and conceptions of our minds about who we think God is, who we think God is. How tragic 
when our culture tells us more about God than the Bible. You say, Darren, I, that would never happen to me. Well, let's use a very practical example. How many of you remember Tom and Jerry cartoons? Are those even on anymore? Tom and Jerry, we don't have ta- cable. But one thing, Tom and Jerry, you know, if, if they died, what happened? The person would go up and he got wings. You remember that? And isn't it Miracle on 34th Street that they ring the bell and every time the bell goes off, uh, an angel gets its wings? It's a wonderful life. Thank you. Miracle, they're all, yeah. It's their, thank you, Tina. Tina's my movie uh, reference point here, so thank you. But you know what? There's so many things in this culture, friends, that we have to really pray. Lord, is this of you or is this not of you? Does that mean you shouldn't watch one or, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying be discerning. Be very discerning. Sometimes we see, uh, it came out almost 13 years ago. Um, what was the Jim Carrey movie that came out? Uh, Bruce Almighty that came out. You know, God's just this guy walking around, and he gets a, the prayer requests, and he just answers them all. And, and then he finds out if he answers all the prayer requests the way people want. You guys remember this movie? Uh, you know, it just makes mass chaos, so he tries to correct it all. Can I just tell you our God's not like that? Can I just tell you our God is faithful and balanced and just across all of who he is? And because of that, we have every reason to boast in him. Why? Look at the, look at the last part of verse 24. He says, boast in me that I'm the Lord who practices steadfast love. Not wishy-washy love. Not love only when it means something to get something for him. But steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Friends, what an almighty God that we have. Aren't you grateful that our God is not just some super tyrant up there in heaven just dispensing out whatever he feels is is right, but it's all bad. Friends, he is perfect. He is holy. He is just. He is good. But you want to know something? This list that he mentions, this list that he puts in here are the exact opposite of the things the people in Jeremiah's day were doing. Were they showing loving kindness? No. They were taking advantage of each other. Were they showing righteousness and justice? No. Judges and priests were taking bribes to show favor to certain families in hopes that it might get them somewhere. But I'm grateful this morning, I hope you are too, that God is right in every one of his thoughts, every one of his words, every one of his attitudes, and every one of his actions. And we are called to be right in every one of our thoughts, our words, our attitudes, and actions. Friends, let's pray that that happens. We are not perfect people, right? We are not. But by grace, we can live this out. And that is the greatest thing that you have, Tower View, is knowing God, is knowing God. And let's just step back here for a minute. Does this mean that every person on the earth knows who Christ is? Well, yes and no. We believe in a thing called general revelation. We believe that Romans 1 tells us that everyone has, through nature and through their conscience, the ability to know God. But friends, it is a gift to know God through Jesus Christ. It is a gift. We can't boast and say, look, I've got God. I'm going to teach about God. Look at me. I've got this. Man, that is a scary place to be. If you ever see a preacher that says, i got this God thing down, please run away from him. Please do not send your money to him. Please do not even listen to him. Run away like the Dickens because he knows not God. He knows something of pride. Friends, a Christian, a true believer will not say, look at me. i got this God thing down. A true believer will, in humility, say, look at God. What he has done for me, he has made himself known to me. That is the great gift of knowing Christ. What do you want for yourself today, Christian? Parents, grandparents, what do you want? Aunts, uncles, what do you want for your children or your your nephews or nieces? 
That will tell you a lot of about your heart today. What do you want? You know, often we'll say, uh, I don't know where this person stands with the Lord. Amy, you can go ahead and throw this up. Friends, if you don't know where someone stands with the Lord, you probably already know where they're at. If you're here today and you say, I'm a Christian because I grew up in this church or I'm a Christian because once I prayed a prayer, can I ask you a question? Have you really met the biblical God? You may be a Christian because of those things God used, but you're not a Christian unless God makes himself known to you. You say, Darren, I've been crying out to God, and he doesn't show himself to me. Friends, that is found only in Jesus Christ, no one else. There's no other road to heaven. There's no other path to righteousness except through Jesus Christ, and that is the way God is known is through his son. Maybe you're a Christian here today, and you say, I want to be used by God. Uh, yeah, I've got so much zeal. I've got money. God, I've got opportunity. Let me be used by you, please, God. Would you pray that you would be the bagpacker for your friend and say, God, Use someone else and let me carry his bags with me. Because, friends, it is not about being used by God as much as it is about being humble before him and knowing wherever he sends you, there you should go. You know, guys, if a young man comes to me and says, I want to marry this lady, you know what my first question may be to him if he's a young man? Why do you want to marry this girl? And you know what the typical answer is? The typical answer goes something like this. I want a good wife. I want a pretty wife. She's pretty. I want a good life. I want children. I want to be happy. I want someone compatible. I want to marry this girl. You know what that reeks all over of? It's all about him, isn't it? But if someone came to me and says, Darren, I want to marry this young girl. Tell me about her. Man, what is it there to know about her? I want to know her. I've looked at many fields. I've looked at many things, but I found the pearl of great price in a wife. And I found that I want to spend my life with her to know her. And, and, and it would be valuable for me to spend the rest of my life to know her. Because in her I find everything I've been looking for outside of Christ. Do you see the difference there between those two? Friends, if your relationship with God is about more of what you can get out of it than about who God is and just simply knowing him, you may have the wrong God. Many preachers will get up and it's all about themselves too. I've mentioned this, but do you want to know God, preacher? Sunday school teacher, many of you love to teach, and we have great teachers here. Teachers, can I ask you, are you more content that you learned more biblical knowledge or that that biblical knowledge led you to know more about who God is? Or maybe many of you are like Mary and Martha. Remember this story? Some of you have been around church. They were sitting at Jesus' feet. What was Martha doing? What wasn't Martha doing, for those of you who know the story? Martha was... She was just like busy bee, like our daughter Scarlett. I mean, she's into everything right now. You can't sit down for a minute. She's into everything. Martha was like going around, fixing things, good things. And what was Mary doing? Just sitting. Yeah, sitting at Jesus' feet. Thank you, Carlos. Friend, are you one that's more busy? Are you one that is more busy just being at the feet of the Lord? Let me show you the next illustration. Go ahead, Amy, throw this up there. You know, sometimes you'll get this question asked, and please, I want to make a clear line here, but I want to get this illustration in. You know, sometimes you'll get asked as a parent, what is your son going to be? What's your daughter going to be? I mean, uh, and you know, the parent might say, you know, well, he's going to grow up to be a preacher or something crazy like that. He seems to have a real gift for those things. God's really going to bless that boy. That's not a bad thing, is it? Well, let me give you a more biblical answer to that. What's your son or daughter going to be? Well, he's a strange one that son of mine. He's strange. He seems to have a strange enduring desire just to know God. He has a strange 
Sometimes I think he's lazy and he doesn't give himself to the things of God, but really, you know what he wants to do? It's strange. He just wants to spend time with the Lord and know him. And he just wants to know God. Christian, I don't know which side of that you are, but some of you in this room have been so busy with church, so busy with the activities of church, maybe it's time just to step back and say, have I just spent time with the Lord lately? Have I just spent time knowing him? Friends, please understand, it's not bad if someone wants to be a preacher or those things. I hope it's not bad. You hired me, but here we are. But you see the difference there? The world will tell you, just do, do, do. And friends, we have plenty of things to do with this church. Please believe me. Talk to properties. Talk to our children's workers. There's plenty of ways to help. But do you just boast in the fact that you got, you get to know, to use that phrase, the Lord of the universe, the privilege of knowing him, the privilege of knowing him. Wives, I bet you, I bet you, you are no, not so much delighting in the fact that your husband comes home and says, boy, I put this roof over your head. See that food right there? Yeah, that was me. I worked for that. I did that. My own might. And you know what? I also did. I also helped make that table over there. Yeah, I did that. That's me. I'm the great husband of the year, right? Wives, I bet you want nothing more. And this is a work in progress from your preacher's side, too, that you delight that your husband, yeah, he provides those things. And that's great. And he should for those things. That's biblical. But that he delights just to spend time with you, just to know you just to understand you, and he doesn't give up just because the ring's on the finger. Oh, it's done. I can go pursue my own things. The real delight comes from that, not the things which must be done. Friends, how do you do this? Let's be honest. You have to do this. How do you do this? Let's give you three simple steps, three very simple steps, Amy, if you'll put that up. How do you grow in the knowledge of God and make that balance between those two, between all those things? Well, let's remind ourselves of where we've been. Knowing God through Christ is the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. It's the sum and substance. But the first thing you need to do is examine your own heart. Examine your own heart. What is it in this world? Blake, thank you for leading us in the wonderful cross. What is it in this world that is more precious to you than knowing God? What is it? Maybe it's something, maybe it's a future plan. Maybe it's a reality. Maybe you're discontented with your circumstances. Lord, if I just had this then I could do this for you, and life would be grand. Lord, if I just had a thousand more dollars here, I could get this, and I could do that. You know, I don't know if I've told you a story before. In high school in Plattsburgh, we got the cops called on us one time. Uh, we were gamers. We were computer gamers. We liked to play. I'm not endorsing this. This is, in a, this is not a good time in Darren's life, but I was a Christian, but I used to play those shoot 'em up games, okay? Shoot 'em up. I turned off the blood. I turned off the gore. I tried to do the Christian thing, right? And I thought if I could be the best shooter-upper gamer at Plattsburgh High School, and if I could just be the best at that and show them how awesome I am at this, that maybe they would listen to me about Jesus Christ. So I organized a bunch of computer geeks to get their computers together, and we went up in the high school with their blessing. And all you hear from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. is gunshots. And in a small town, with all those speakers up, the cops were surrounding the building by this point, folks. My greatest value in that exchange was I, I think I had a right motivation. I wanted to share Jesus with them, but to get there, I had to be elevated at that point. My goal, yeah, it was Jesus, but it was really to be liked by those people. 
What is it in your heart that is of greatest value to you? Get in there. Pray. Ask God to uncover any hidden idolatry in your heart. Ask him to expose it. Ask him to help you turn from it. Ask him to show it for what it is. Because, friends, whether we say it or not, we all have idols in our hearts. Ladies, maybe it's because you don't have it all together like that other mom has it all together. Guys, maybe it's because you are, you are working 9 to 5 plus 20 hours a week and you just can't seem to make ends meet, but you're trying and you look over there and it seems like this guy's just got it really easy. I don't know. I know the Lord's faithful and he will take care of his own, but examine your heart. You want to grow closer to the knowledge of God, examine your heart. And then the second thing is this. Meditate on the majesty, the character, and the works of God. What is it? In God that you should consider greatest? Is it his love? Is it his, his justice? Is it his faithfulness? All the above, friends. All the above. Get at the heart of God's own heart and uncover the splendor and the glory that must be yours. Because, friends, the more you look at him, when you look down here at life, it really does change your perspective. And here's the, 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 the hardest but the easiest part of it. Repeat steps. Repeat and rinse. Repeat and rinse. Repeat steps one and two over and over and over and over and over and over and over again the rest of your life until God calls you home. That's how you fight the world. That's how you fight sin. You know, is it good to spend time in the Word every day? Amen. And if you need a Bible reading program, there's the 5 by 5 by 5 plan right out there. But, friends, it is not just about doing your devotions. It is not just, I love, I think we still have them. Don't we have these on our little checklist, you know, on our offering cards where it says, came to Sunday school, brought my Bible, all those things. Some of you still remember those from years gone by. Friends, it is not just checking those things. Yes, those are things to do. But in the bottom of that, are you spending time with the Lord? Or are you just doing those things? Because that's what a good Christian should do. That's the question that we have. That's the question that we have. The sum and substance of life is to know God, is to know Him. Friends, it's like a pastor who walks around and teaches about this great God and goes home and worries. It's like a man who talks about God's beauty but doesn't want to spend time with him. It's like a person who says all these great things about God but goes and lives like the world. There's a balance between all this, and we need to pray for that balance. Friends, look around. Many churches are simply window dressings, gimmicks, methods, and what we need is not a prop to prop Jesus up. Jesus is high and lifted up. And the king, uh, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I looked up and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the, the, he was seated on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. We don't need to prop Jesus up, friends, but we need the one who is up there to help us at times. And that takes time. What do we need in this church, friends? It's not the latest strategy. What do we need at this church? It's not the roller coaster that... I've had in my mind to kind of comb in and out. That would be cool. We had a roller coaster going through here and up there and around there. That's not what we need. What we need is a greater understanding of who this God is. And when we have a greater understanding of who this God is, that's what it's all about. Christian life is not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and hoping for the best. The Christian life is knowing God, knowing God. I love my wife, but she would affirm this. My wife and I are both sinful creatures. But I love my wife more now, infinitely more than I did on April 2nd, April 3rd, sorry, sorry, babe, <laughs> April 3rd, 2010, when we got married. She's not as young with respect. She's still young, but neither am I. There's a lot that was given over to youth that we can't recover. 
But I know this one thing. I love my wife more now because I know more about her qualities, her characteristics, and her time-given and tested character that promote these things. If I can say that about a fallen person I love in my wife, how much more can we say that about God? Friends, Christianity is not ten more steps this way. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Christianity is looking into the face of God, seeing him for who he is, and living with wisdom in his word and by his spirit out that each day. What is our greatest need this year and every year at Tower View Baptist Church? Friends, it's not the greatest grace. It's not whatever is out there that's popular for five years and gone. It is a greater need of God. I hope you see that difference. Does that mean we won't adopt strategies? Of course we will, folks. We do that all the time. But our greatest need here is to know this God. Would you pray, men, for your families that you would know this God better? Wives, would you pray that your husband would know this God better? Children, youth, would you pray that you would know this God better and that your parents would help you if you have believing parents to know that? Church, would you pray that we would know this God better? I told you it's a scary topic, isn't it? It really is. Friends, I pray you're encouraged and challenged today because God is God. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, what a great God we serve. He came down to us. No other God has done that. If you don't know him, we'll have a time here in just a second. But I'm going to ask the deacons to go ahead and come up this way, gentlemen who are serving the Lord's Supper. It's been a longer service today, guys. We know that. But one way that we know our great God is through relationship with Jesus Christ. And over the next few minutes, Blake's going to play for us, and we're going to have some time of reflection. And I just want you to ask yourself this question. Lord, do I know more about the things that I do for you than I have just spent time with you lately? Lord, do I know you really, or has it just been all a farce, all a lie? Friends, I pray you ask that question because that informs everything that you do. Because knowing God is the greatest thing through Christ that you can ever have. Let's bow. And then we'll start the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning. Father, as I've researched and looked over the sermon, this is the, the, probably one of the hardest sermons to preach because it's about you. Lord, everything should be about you, but especially as why study you. Father, I pray at our church we don't boast in our wisdom, we don't boast in our might, we don't boast in our riches. I pray we boast in this one thing, that we know you and can understand you by your grace. Father, we pray that for wisdom, that that infiltrates everything that we do here, Lord. The strategies we adopt, the things that we say, the things we don't do, every little thing is done about what you have done for us in the gospel of your son. Father, thank you. I pray for grace for those in here who say, I just want to know you more. Give them that grace, Lord. Pray for those who are struggling right now to know you. I pray they would just find contentment in you. And Father, whether by many or by few, that you would save those that you have called to save. Father, thank you so much. We love you. Thank you that in Christ we are loved and loved infinitely more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine all by your grace, Lord. We go back to you, and we pray this in Jesus' name.